John Virgo tells a funny story. He said there was a poll done in Bolton where Tony Knowles is from, you know, and they asked 100 women, would they go to bed with Tony Knowles? And 99% said, never again. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. You see, Ken Doherty is a man who seems to have an unlimited supply of hilarious stories and jokes. Gathered over his long career at the top of the world of snooker, hanging out with the greats, the likes of Jimmy White, Alex Higgins and Ronnie O'Sullivan. And in my chat with him, which is coming up in just a few minutes' time, he'll be sharing loads of those brilliant anecdotes that I can promise you will have you in fits of laughter. Um, It's because Ken comes from that world of snooker, where snooker players back then were required to be raconteurs um, and entertainers as well, because they do all these exhibitions, so they have to keep people entertained at night and you know it's not just snooker so they tell jokes and gags and do little sketches and everything and he comes from that um, tradition so did you catch last week's episode with David Quinn it was a bit of a different one for us I'd have to say and I'd love to know what you thought we received lots of emails praising David on his eloquence and intelligently thought out opinions many of which of course are diametrically opposed to my own opinions so if you didn't catch it I would definitely recommend that you have a listen back and while you're here hit subscribe or follow for free Uh, so that you never miss an episode of this show, um, which is proudly supported by our good friends at Curry's PC World. Speaking of which, a certain Mr. Johnny Sexton has just got a surprise delivery. Yeah. Mr. Johnny Sexton? Yeah. A delivery from Curry's PC World there. I I didn't order anything from Curry. I'm just a delivery man, Mr. Sexton. hang on. Hello? Johnny, it's Raj. Did you get the TV? What TV, Raj? I got your Sony TV up in Corrie's to celebrate the Lions Tour. I'm not going on the Lions Tour, Rog. Exactly. That's why you'll need a really great TV to watch the Lions Tour on, Johnny. Rog, are you taking the pi- No, I'm just saying, the better the TV, the better you'll be able to watch every detail of the Lions Tour like Jesus. Yeah, how do you mean? This is a huge TV, Johnny. You'll yeah. be able to see every pass, every kick, ultra yeah. HD. You'll be able to see every minute detail that you're missing out on. Ah, listen, summer, Johnny. get lost, will you? I knew you were trying to wind me up, Rog. There's no need to be grumpy, Johnny. Jesus I'm not grumpy. Me. You're always calling me grumpy. No. Just get lost, Rog. Get lost. I don't Johnny. want your charity TVs. Go away. Okay, I take it back then. Hey, where are you going with that thing? I take it back to Corrie's. It's yeah. 55 inch, is it? No, 65 inch Sony Bravia. I yeah, okay. Leave it there. Okay. Say no nothing, okay? Sign here. Cool. Summer sorted. The Mario Rosenstock Podcast, proudly supported by Curry's PC World. And obviously, it's going to be a really uh, great summer of sport. The weather's great at the moment. We've got the Olympics coming up. We've got the Euros. Um, Wimbledon, the French Open is on at the moment. Um, and now that COVID restrictions are beginning to lift a pace, you will see the return of fans to games but you'll also want to watch them on a great TV. So maybe head up to Curry's. Um, I just got my jab, by the way. Uh, it was about a week and a half ago. Um, and uh, I went out to City West in Tala and I got my jab done. And uh, it was an extremely efficient uh, operation, I have to say, like so many of you have probably experienced uh, at this point. Um, and, uh, but very interesting to observe everybody in our cohort, um, my age group, um, and you you see them firsthand. So these are the people that are in my age group, eh? And you're kind of doing that thing where you're looking around and you're going, and you're being very competitive about it. And you're going, you're hearing the date of births and they're close to you. 6th of the 3rd, 1970. And you're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're being very competitive and you're being very kind of um, 
Jeez, I'm not looking too bad now. I'm your man, your man. He's looking a bit rough, isn't he? And then, of course, you're looking at members of the opposite sex and you're going, Jesus, she's looking well. She's looking well because she must be the same age as me. So there was a lot of um, there was a lot of swan necking um, going on and uh, comparisons going on. And in I went, got the jab. Um, lovely lady. Um, and I had no after effects. Um, I can be happy to reveal. And uh, in fact, nobody that I've met has had any after effects. So listen, fingers crossed. So far, so good. I hope it goes well for you if you're getting your jab. And speaking of um, getting the jab done, it got me thinking um, what the world is going to be like once the dust has settled on all of this COVID business. And I'm so delighted to bring to you, as a loyal listener to the Mario Rosenstock podcast, a special, exclusive glimpse um, into the very, very, very nearer than you think future. Ah, nice day for a couple of cans, what? Ah, oh, yeah, nice to get out in the fresh air and have an old chat, what? Hey. Old things, anyway. Grand, you know yourself. Oh, oh, what's that? Oh, Jesus. oh, Jesus, no. Is that fucking Enfet? Enfet! Turn your head against the wall. Just don't look suspicious. This is Chief Officer Holohan. I'm absolutely shocked. Nobody move. I thought he was only driving around on Saturdays. The can. What? The can. Hide your can. Hide your can. Jesus. You there. What's that in your hand? Just a, just a can of tenants, Mr. Holland. Chief officer to you, scumbag. Chief right. officer. What are you doing standing so close to the other fella? Uh, we're, we're, we're in a bubble. Yeah. In a bubble, eh? Yeah. yeah. We'll see about that. Yeah. Lieutenant McConkey. Yes, sir. Sergeant O'Neill. Yeah. Check their papers. With pleasure, sir. Yeah, now, lads, let's have a look at these papers. Let's see what the data is telling oh, us papers, here Papers, please, gentlemen. I, 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 I left them at home, uh, Lieutenant yeah. McConkey. Me, me, me too, Lieutenant McConkey. Looks like we have a super spreader here, Chief. Give Holland. him a shot. No, no, oh, please. Give please. him a shot. Oh, boys. Jesus, no, oh, I had the oh, job no, already. It's it's lads, Pfizer, yeah. Pfizer time for you, boys. Come yeah. on. Now, come on, lads. Come on, the data's telling us. Come on, Come on, the rest of you reprobates, listen up. There's a new sheriff in town. Mask up, shut up. I'm watching ye 24-7. You hear me? Holohan's on patrol, hand. Move out, lads. Yippee, K, yeah, yeah. Hey, let's hit Portobello. Woohoo! And there you have it. Looks like you and I had better be on our best behaviour this weekend. If we're out and about um, socialising or having a can or hanging around in a park or hanging around nowhere near South William Street in this brave new post-COVID world that is emerging. Well, now it's time for the man of the hour. My special guest on this episode, a master storyteller, expert teller of jokes. Um, oh, yeah. And a former world snooker champion. I remember staying up that night in 1997. Ken Doherty. How are you, Ken? I'm great. Thanks, Mario. Really good. Thank you. Ken, I love, um, I had you on the radio program a few times and uh, love having you back. I know you're in Sheffield at the moment. You've been renting an apartment there for a co- past couple of weeks after the World <laughs> Snooker Championship. Isn't that right? Yeah, I have. Yeah, we had, uh, of course, the World Championship was on here for the last uh, seven, eight days and then finished with, of course, Max Selby winning against Sean Murphy. So I've been here. Yeah, stuck in Sheffield. This is my new home. It's been, I've been here for the last couple of months, actually, you know? Yes. So uh, I haven't got the Sheffield accent just yet, but <laughs> you're all right, though. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, listen, we'll get Every, to Everybody is duck. Everybody is duck over here, you know? Not, is duck, yeah. Duck, yeah, yeah. All right, duck. All right, duck, yeah, yeah. All right, duck. 
Brilliant. Um, so we'll get to Snooker and we'll get to Sean Murphy and, and stuff and stuff like that later yeah, yeah. on. But whenever I have a guest on the show, I ask them to come to bring something on the table, to put something on the table, to get something off their chest, to uh, lay something down for me, something bugging you, anything you want to talk about. Maybe it's something to do with your area of life. It could be to do with anything general as well. But Ken, yeah, what are yeah. you bringing to the table? Well, I'll tell you what, we, there was a big discussion during the World Championships uh, about dress code. Judd Trump, who's the world number one, he was talking about maybe relaxing the dress code and maybe having like sort of trying to encourage young people to sort of pick up the game again and, and sort of relax and play in, in different sort of attire. But sort of, I'm a bit of a traditional, I'm a bit of a traditionalist in that, that way. Like I grew up watching, you know, the likes of Higgins and Davis and Reardon play and, and all those uh, greats in the, in the sort of eighties. Like, and uh, I think I like the Dickie bow. I like the, uh, I like the attire. It's almost like a uniform, isn't it? And like when I was a kid, I couldn't wait to get, I got my first like waistcoat from Louis Copeland when I was tort in, it was a black velvet waistcoat, you know? And, uh, and I, and I had a black velvet dicky bow to go with it. And it like a little white short and I absolutely loved it, you know? And I had that for years and years. It doesn't fit me anymore, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I absolutely loved it. And I think, uh, you know, as a kid, you couldn't wait to get that waistcoat on, you know, I don't want to see somebody in a, at the world championships, you know, in a T-shirt with tattoos down their arm, you know, and picking up yeah. the World Championship trophy. You know what I mean? I think it does, it the does, likes it of does. Higgins and Rear, you know, you yeah. know, they, it wouldn't sort of, it doesn't, it wouldn't bode well with me at all. You it know? raises an interesting point, doesn't it? Mm. Because it's sort of, on the one hand, you're saying it kind of eschews traditionalism and <clears> maybe you'd be thinking about getting younger people involved in the game. But on <clears> the other side, there is the, 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 the nice side to the traditionalism. I'm just trying to picture, I'm trying to picture Steve Davis in a denim jacket and a nose ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, could you imagine? And, and particularly, you know, with, with his his skin and my skin, you know, like freckly white arms, you know, milk bottle arms. I don't think it'd look good. It wouldn't be a great image to sort of portray, would it, for the younger folk? No, or Jimmy White in a bandana and torn jeans and, um, you know, coming out yeah. like Keith Richards uh, and something. <laughs> and But it also raises the, 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 it also raises the prospect that now we live in such an inclusive world that, you know, depending on the sexual uh, identification mm. of people, you know, I mean, you could have uh, people like doing an Eddie Izzard and coming out in, a, in, in transvestites or coming out in cross-dressing mm. or whatever, you know. I mean, yeah. not to say yourself, uh, Ken, coming out in a skirt <laughs> that, or anything. That, would, that would probably, <laughs> you're probably alluding to Tony Knowles there. <laughs> Are you saying Tony Knowles is a, is a cross-dressing? <laughs> no, no, no. Tony Knowles, no. young, but, but apart, yeah, two, yeah, yeah. the transvestite <laughs> of the snooker world. Here he is. <laughs> With a beautiful slit up his short skirt, it would make bending over to take your shot a whole new routine. It would, yeah, again. yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, though, in the eighties, there was a big piece of the Sunday, uh, one of the the Sun or one of those red tops uh, that he used to like wearing women's underwear. Tony knows, you know. So it was a bit of a so that he has a bit of a reputation in that respect, you know. And I'll tell you one funny story uh, because he's been a bit of a ladies' man. Actually, there was a picture on that God's a snooker picture of Tony knows. And he was on the snooker table with a page three girl who was completely topless and in su- suspenders and like uh, you know underwear. And and he's he's on the he's on the he's on the snooker table with her. Balls are everywhere, and he's like holding her. There's a picture, you know, promo picture. Anyway, he got fined. <laughs> he got fined about. I think it was about ten thousand at the time. But uh, he was a bit of a ladies' man, Tony, in his day, and lived up to it, you know. But apparently, Stephen Hendry one time uh, was walking by Tony Knoll's room. Uh, in the hotel and the cleaning lady was in and 
he only knew it was Tony in his room because he was he was next to him, you know, and he, he knew he, was, he could see Tony going in and out. But when the door was open, right, there was a tripod and a camera at the end of the bed. <laughs> now I don't know whether he was filming himself at night or he had he was filming others, but that was a uh, yeah. Stephen Hendry said. Tony knows room, you had to have a double take, you know, and saw the, the cleaning lady, God love her, she had to clean around the tripod, you know, in case uh, she knocked it over. Well, are you sure she was a cleaning lady? Maybe she was role play <laughs> well, that was going on. She might have been. Yeah. Maybe Tony's there, can you dress up as a cleaning lady there, Doug? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it could have been something uh, like that. Or maybe he was just practicing his cue action and he wanted to video yeah, his yeah, cue yeah. action, Ken. <clears throat> yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah, John, Virgo, John Virgo tells a funny story. Story. He said there was a poll done in Bolton where Tony Knowles is from, you know, and they asked 100 women, would they go to bed with Tony Knowles? And 99% said, never again. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, oh, God, God. I remember, I remember even Ted Lowe, the voice of Snooker, uh, oh, you know, he used to, great. I mean, he used to literally go, he used to come up whispering Ted Lowe. He used to, to Tony Knowles would be approaching the table. And I remember distinctly because I was only yeah, about yeah. 12 or 13, yeah, no, yeah, 13 yeah. or 14. And I was like, mm. Tony Knowles approaching the table. <laughs> Knowles, six foot two, incredibly handsome, the pinup of the snooker world. <laughs> All the women know his prowess. <laughs> <laughs> this, is oh, about, yeah, yeah. this is on a close-up and this is as the bbc have yeah, 15 yeah. million people watching a close-up of tony Knowles's no, nose bend, as he's bending over bending over well bending over with a stick bending over with a stick it reminded me as well of that thing of the the because we're going to talk about the go, the gods of snooker in a second mm. yeah yeah it, it reminded me of that famous moment as well because there's a there was another for, famous snooker player called neil folds yeah, and Neil, and Neil Foles, of course, does commentary for Eurosport and all that, and, and uh, but Neil Foles has kind of puckmarked skin. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. uh, he obviously had a little bit of acne when he was a child. Acne when he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember Ted Lowe never spared him. No, mm. Foles would come to the table, <clears> and slowly the camera would zoom in on him. He'd bend down on the table, and the camera at a very tense moment would come right up on his face. Again, fifteen million people, mm. and Ted Lowe, you just hear him go. Neil Foles, the makeup lady's nightmare. <laughs> You're joking me. Are you like serious? On his face oh on national God. TV. Oh, and it was just no. incredible. But anyway, the gods of snooker has started um, on yeah, yeah, uh, BBC. Yeah, yeah. And it just reminds us of that those halcyon days, uh, Ken, mm. when, when snooker... Um, was a kind of a world of its own, a glamorous, glamorous world of its own. You had characters like Alex Higgins in a mm. fedora hat. Um, oh, fantastic. And, yeah, his, yeah. And, his, and his green shirts and his big dicky yeah, bows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you had, uh, and, and juxtaposed against Steve Davis, who was the prim and proper perfectionist. Mm. And then you had other characters mm. with long hair, like Kirk Douglas, Kirk, uh, who was, Kirk you know, Stevens. Rumored to be or Kirk or Kirk Douglas. <laughs> Kirk Stevens. Kirk Stevens. I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus. Exactly. He was rumored to be chalking more than his cue. And um, and uh, there was powder flying everywhere. And um and golden days, golden days yeah, came were, yeah. Uh, they were days. Yeah, they were the Halcyon days. I mean, they were the days that I grew up uh, watching, and particularly when I saw Alex Higgins, you know, when he was flying around the table, <clears throat> you know, and you didn't know. As Ted Lowe used to say, Alex Higgins, temperamental, unpredictable, 
but always entertaining. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he was, he was always entertaining. And that was uh, those days where they started the beginning of the boom of snooker, you know, and that's what sort of, when I saw Higgins win it in 82 and he picking up the trophy, he said, bring on the baby, bring on the baby. And then uh, Dennis, of course, win it in 85. They were, they were just fantastic days, you know, amazing. Actually, you do a great uh, impression of uh, Alex Higgins. I heard you saying it there, brothers, bring on the baby. Uh, well, bring on the baby. Uh, uh, David Boyne said to Alex, he said, uh, Alex, can you live without snooker? Well, can snooker live without me? <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he did a, he did a, uh, he, he won the Hoffmeister doubles with Jimmy White once, you know. And uh, David Boy and the two of them are in the studio and they're popping the champagne, you know, and they're, they're smoking and everything. And uh, David Boy says to Alex Egan, says, Alex, he says, what makes you and Jimmy such a, a good combination of a doubles partnership? Well, he goes, Jimmy's got the milk. I've got the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Great line. Yeah. That's brilliant. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And then, um, and uh, that's, that's Alex, Alex and, and Steve. And yeah, uh, yeah. and they Jimmy, hated each other, you know. I mean, Jimmy uh, or Steve Davis and Alex, like he hated each. They hate, absolutely hate because Steve Davis was the complete antithesis of of uh, Alex Higgins, you know. And I think that's what was what was great about that time because you had the clean cut sort of Steve Davis who drank water, and then you had the the hellraiser Alex Higgins who smoked and like drank vodka at the table, like you know what I mean. And uh, and they were completely polar opposites, but that created a wonderful story in itself, you know. And um, the gods of snooker, the booze, yeah. the fags, the women. But yeah, enough, yeah, about yeah. You, enough about you for a second. Uh, let's get back to <laughs> on, let's Alex get back, Higgins. <laughs> let's get back to Alex Higgins. Um, what I was going to say was Jimmy White's get as well was was yeah, yeah. you know was, well, Jimmy White belongs to that past as well. I'm always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Yeah, six times a finalist. How many lost in the final six times? Yeah, I mean. <clears throat> Yeah, and you know, funny that thing when you talk to him, Jimmy. I mean, he had a he had a, such a hell raise and like. But when you talk to him, he, he's no real regrets. I suppose it's a good way of a good outlook on life. There's no point in looking back. There's no point in thinking about what's gone. You know. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> I, um, I mean, he's such a great character. You know, he's had such a great life. You know, he's been up and down. Like you know, he's had. You know, he's uh, gambling. <clears throat> he's had it. Gambling, he's lost a lot. Yeah, lost a lot mm. through gambling, but he's back on his feet now. He's okay, you know. Mm. He was into the drugs big time, gambling big time, and um, it's funny. He's <laughs> uh, the last time I think it was in, uh, it was in um, York. Yeah, we were at the UK Championship, you know, and he did this big spread, <clears throat> you know, for his book because he was promoting his book, you know, and and a lot of the stuff in his book was about, you know, the the bad times, the drugs, and. Uh, you know, the cocaine, and he was even on crack for a while, and the gambling, and, and his divorce, and what he lost, like, you know, and all his money and all that, you know, and he goes, uh, and, and he had this big spread in the paper, <clears throat> I've stopped the gambling, you know, I'm not even smoking anymore, I'm, I'm exercising, you know, and, <laughs> and, and uh, we're, we're reading this bit outside of bookies, right, and he's smoking a cigarette, outside the bookies in York right I've stopped the gambling you know I'm not drinking anymore I'm not even smoking I'm exercising here he is he's smoking outside of William Hill shop in York and going in having a bet on the thing and I'm with him like like having a look at my, you know and I'm just laughing to myself like you know I know, I know. he said but you know there was that story never refused well. think you know 
yeah, there was that <clears> day, there was that story as well of when he was at Goffs, I think, in 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 County yeah. Dare, and he was playing in the Irish snooker, or he was playing in the, the Benson and Hedges Masters. Mm. And I, I, I like there was, there was this stuff about him that he was inside a hotel room chopping up. Yeah, the KDN, yeah. KD, he was inside a hotel room chopping up um furniture so that they could <clears throat> yeah, burn yeah. it. So burn that they it. could burn the furniture to heat the spoons for the crack cocaine. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know about that now at all. You know, I knew he took the sniff, all right, but I didn't know anything about that. I mean, that was a real sort of dark side uh, to his life, you know. Uh, and his book, like, I mean, his book is filled with so many stories. But yeah, that was quite shocking and quite revealing, you know. And uh, he says, yeah, I, I said, it was quite revealing, that book, Jimmy. Yeah, he says, wait until you see the next one. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one funny on. story, one funny story, Jimmy White. I'm in China with him and we're playing in Beijing. And our next tournament the following week is down South China, South China Sea in a place called uh, uh, Haikou Island, you know. And uh, <clears throat> the Rolling Stones, we've both lost on the Wednesday, right? And the Rolling Stones are playing in Macau, which is near Hong Kong, Macau Island, you know, um, which is like three hours over our way, like, you know, but he said to me, he says, what are you doing? He says, no, I said, no, I said, well, got to make a way to High Cow, you know, because uh, we're playing on Monday, you know. He says, uh, the Stones, he says, they're playing in Macau. He says, you fancy coming along? <clears throat> and I says, uh, I says, when are they playing? He says, they're playing Saturday night, you know. He says, Ronnie Woods sought me out a few passes. We fly to Macau. He said, we'll stay there Saturday, Sunday, fly, fly to High Cow on Monday. I says, Jimmy, I said, um, I said, we've got to be there for the opening ceremony on the Sunday, you know? It's just like, because you're not there on the Sunday. I says, you get fined, you know? And he goes, uh, he goes, how much is the fine? I says, I think it's about 500 quid, you know? And he looks at me, he goes, it's the fucking Rowling Stones, mate. And you're with the weirdest. <laughs> he goes, and you're with the weirdest. And I looked at him and I talked for a minute and I says, you're fucking dead right. I said, let's go to Macau, right? Yeah. And we went to Macau. We flew to Macau. Um, we stayed there Saturday. We went to the concert on Saturday. And uh, we've walked downstairs. <clears throat> and we walked into Ronnie Wood's dressing room. And, uh, you know, Ronnie Wood is on the dry, you know. So there's only like teas, coffee, soft drinks, chocolate, mints and all that, you know. And Ronnie Wood comes in, hello, Jimmy, hello, son, you know, they're, they're hugging away. And then Keith Richards comes in, you know, and uh, <clears throat> he goes, Ronnie, what's the story here, mate? He says, the strongest thing I get is a fucking green tea. <laughs> 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 and he goes, I know, Jim, but I'm on the dry. What can I do? You know, and he was on the dry. <laughs> and I got, a, I got a great picture of my snooker room in the Radisson of myself, Jimmy White. Keith Richards and Ronnie Wood in Macau in the uh, Venetian Hotel in Macau and the four of us together. And uh, I posed a, p- a thing, said, we're starting a new band, you know. But I tell you what, we got fined 500 quid. It was the best 500 quid I've ever spent in my entire life. It was the best 500 quid. We are in front of the stage when the Rolling Stones came out in Macau at 15,000 seat stadium. And we were right in the pit. Uh, in front of the stage and it was uh, it was uh, absolutely fantastic but that was Jimmy White in a nutshell you know oh yeah listen come here how has the <clears> how, <throat> over the last year I mean you, your life now is spent travelling isn't that right so uh, 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 well I mean during this time this I mean this has been a, a completely different year to any other year you know I mean it's been, 
there's been no uh, the only travel is just here to the UK. Thankfully, I mean the tournaments were still going on, and uh, <clears throat> World Snooker were still able to put on a lot of tournaments here in the UK. But all the tournaments overseas, like in China and uh, whatnot, are we're all obviously cancelled because I don't know when they're going to come back now. You know because of uh, of the restrictions on travel and you know, uh, isolation, quarantine and all stuff like that. So it's going to take a little bit of time. Uh, but at least, you know, all uh, we, we've had like, I don't know, 15, 20 tournaments still going on through this pandemic year, which is fantastic, you know. It is. And also that raises the interesting question that when we watched the final of the uh, World Snooker Championship this year, mm. it was very emotional, even for... It was emotional. Yeah. It was emotional for me, and mm. <clears throat> I'm not a snooker player, but I love sport. Mm. But it was emotional for anybody who loved sport because yeah, yeah, yeah. snooker was the first sport that yeah. showed a full house mm. for the first mm. time. Every mm. seat in the crucible yeah. was filled. Yeah. All 1,000 of them were filled. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so emotional to watch people was. together and watch a full house of sport. Yeah, it was. It was, it was, just it was incredible. It was snooker yeah. was leading the way. And I totally, I totally uh, get what you're saying because myself and Alan McManus were in the commentary box for those first four frames of the evening session of the uh, of the final on the Monday night, you know. So, um, and I was like, I was getting teary eyed in the commentary box because honestly, my hairs and the back of the neck were standing up. Yeah, I was that getting goosebumps. Well. I was, I was in the commentary box, and Alan, I think, was the same. And I was starting to fill up because as the players were introduced. But before before the players were introduced, Rob Walker sort of got all the all the, the crowd going. Yeah. The MC he got all the crowd going, and there seemed to be a standing ovation for like a couple of minutes, even before the players actually walked yeah. out. And I swear to God, I got very emotional, even in the commentary box, because you know we haven't had that for a whole year. Empty like auditoriums playing into, but just to have everybody back, everybody was so. Uh, delighted to be back at a, you know, back at a live event with crowds. You know, it was a pilot game backed by the government and it just worked so well. And it was just, uh, yeah, it was incredibly emotional. It really was. I can't imagine how the how both players feel, but I felt, but I must, I must say, like even, uh, you know, commentating on it, I was like, you know, it was just something, you know, really strange, but fantastic, you know. And, and watching you commentate and listening to mm. you commentate is actually fun as well, Ken, because, mm. You watch the snooker and you hear Ken and your co-commentator, whoever it is, commentating. But people in the audience of the Crucible, they have earphones in their yeah, ear, yeah, 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 which yeah, means yeah, they yeah. can hear your commentary as well. Which yeah, means yeah, that yeah. whenever you crack a good gag, you suddenly yeah, yeah, hear yeah. the audience laugh. Audience laugh. Yeah. They're laughing <laughs> at you commentating because they yeah, hear you yeah. in his ear. And then you cracked an absolutely brilliant one about, was it about the cake? That was a great Oh, one. yeah, yeah, what yeah. Well, myself. Well, myself and Dennis Taylor were in the commentary box. And, uh, Just whispering away. Mark, yeah, Mark, Mark Selby was playing this shot and he had to um, he had to use the extension with the spoiler and yeah. the extension on his cue and the extended spoiler, you know? And uh, I said to Dennis, I said, Dennis, uh, you know, we were talking about... And it was the end of the frame, so you got to be careful, but, but the frame was over, so it wasn't too bad. And I said to Dennis, I said, Dennis, I said, you and I probably need a stepladder for, for this type of shot. You know, yeah. I mean, he says, yeah, yeah. He says, we're not the, we're not the, uh, we're not the tallest 
uh, players in the world. I said, so now we have part-time jobs standing on wedding cakes. <laughs> and it was just a huge... But then you just hear the crowd burst out laughing. And yeah, yeah. it must be funny for the players because the players hear yeah, the crowd yeah. laughing and the players must realise it must be something you said in the commentary yeah, box. Yeah, 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 exactly. That, yeah. But I think, I think you always have to be careful because uh, you can't... You can't say something funny when it's when it's sort of a serious moment in the frame. When the frame is over and stuff like that, then it's okay. Because sometimes, you know, players will give you a dirty look looking up into the commentary box if Dennis or mm. or myself or might say something, make the crowd laugh during a serious part yeah. of the frame. So you've got to be careful with that. But I'll give you one classic Go on. of John Virgo. And he's in the commentary with the great Willie Thorne, you know. And uh, it was the semi-final in the 40 years history. Uh, it was this, it was the semi final year, so it was two thousand and ten, was it? Yeah, no, two thousand and seventeen. It was the forty year anniversary, and Mark Selby was in the semi final against uh, Marco Phil. It was the ten o'clock Saturday morning start, and John Virgo's in the commentary box with Willie, and um, sometimes Willie would put the microphone down. He wouldn't switch off the red button. And he put his hand over the red button and you wouldn't be able to see where the red button was on. If the red button is on, that means that everybody in the audience can hear what you're saying in the commentary, people online and, uh, you know, people watching on TV, of course, you know. And it was the slowest. They had the slowest frame in the 40 year history in that particular in that particular session. And a couple of frames later, they had the second slowest frame in the 40 years. It was like a 70 minute frame and a 68 minute frame. Uh, two frames apart between Selby and Marco Phil. So Willie turned around to John Virgo, 10 o'clock Saturday morning. Now, now it's like 12 o'clock Saturday morning. They've only played three frames. And he turned around to Virgo. He t- now, Willie thought the red button was off as well. And he goes, John, he says, he says, I was really looking forward to this match, but he said, it's absolute crap, you know? And Virgo, in his imitable voice, goes, well, he goes, I was hoping to watch the race in this afternoon. Now it looks like I might not even see fucking match of the day. Gonna <laughs> <laughs> go on all night. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden the crowd start burst out laughing, oh, you know? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Virgo said, What are they laughing at? This we looked around and the red button was on, like, you know. So they all heard it and everybody heard it online and it was a big apology, you know. Uh, but when he came up to the, the champions lounge, uh, it was in all the papers the next day because the press got wind of it, you know. And Virgo F, you know, bleeds out on live on BBC, you know. So when he came up to it and it was in all the papers and stuff like that. And I said to John, hey, John, the next time you're in a commentary box, how are you going to say, where's the fucking cue ball going? <laughs> <laughs> it's classic line, yeah. <laughs> so uh, excuse me for, for swearing, but, you know, you had to sort of, uh, that's just exactly yeah. word for word, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Can it was I- classic. So you got to be careful. You got to be careful. When you're, um, yeah, oh yeah, when when you're in the commentary box with Willie, I, like my gaff was, <clears throat> uh, Rory McLeod was playing, and Willie, Willie's in. When obviously because of his name, Willie, you got to be careful what you're saying, you know, particularly if you're mentioning his name. So uh, my gaff was uh, Rory McLeod was playing, who was our only sort of black player on the tour, you know, and uh, I came out with a line said, uh, he's looking at this black into the corner. He wasn't quite sure where they could go or not, you know, and I said, well. Uh, Rory McLeod, he's got a tough black Willie, uh, and, and Willie looked at me and he goes, "Oh," and he's shaking his head. Oh no, no, like that. No. And I said, and it's and it's very very hard. <laughs> Jesus. 
<laughs> but and I finished out by saying, but I think it just about squeezes into the corner pocket. <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> uh, Willie was like the, the commentary box was shaking because Willie couldn't stop laughing, like you know. But uh, yeah, anyway, we've all made a few gaps in the commentary box. This podcast is proudly supported by our friends in Curry's PC World. Back to the chat. Ken, we throw this, I throw this question at some of my guests and some of them answer it and some of them don't. Um, yeah. And you did. So, Ken, I'm used to being, I, I'm used to playing other people. I'm used to being mm. other people. Um, okay. If you could be somebody else for a day, who would you be <clears> and what would you do? Oh, that would be a good one. Well, I love, uh, who would I be? I love, I love golf, tennis, and uh, I love football. And of course, I'd love to be, who would I love to be? Maybe someone like a, Manchester, uh, like a Man United manager or something like that, you know. So, so you'd like I'd to be to... Saltier, or you'd like to be? <clears throat> I'd like to be. I would definitely like to manage Manchester or even play for Manchester United. That would have been. I think <laughs> when I was growing up, it was like when I, I I played football up until I was captain of Ratmoyne's boys, you know, and we used to play every Saturday morning. But we had a, like a handicap snooker tournament in Jason's every Saturday morning where you put a fiver in. And I'd be given 70 start or 80 start, you know. But more often than not, I might pick up the 30 quid or the 35 quid at the end of that Saturday, you know. Uh, but then came Saturdays where you were playing football for Ratmoyne's boys on the Saturday and it was pissing rain. You, know, you had to go out to Fairview Park and get two buses out there. And I thought to myself, ah, oh, no, no, it's a lot easier. I go around the corner into Jason's and go to school with maybe 30 quid in your pocket on a Monday and buying a quarter of cola bottles or cola cubes or a few fizzle sticks and a few golf balls, you know, like chewing gums. And uh, so, um, yeah, I had to knock the, knock the football on the head. And that's when I started playing snooker seriously. And I was only about, what was I, only about 14 about then. So, yeah, I love, I love playing football. I still play with the lads down in uh, Pembroke when I'm home on a Wednesday. And so I would love to, I would have loved to have played football or play for Manchester United. That would have been my dream, you know. As a massive play with Roy Keane. Play with yeah, Roy Keane. As who, a massive as a massive Manchester United fan, <coughs> how do you feel about the, the present Glazer situation and the protesters? Are you, are you uh, on the protesters I don't like side? the Glazers. I don't like the Glazers at all. I think they're sort of uh, ripping a lot of money out of the club. But I know they've given a lot of money as well to buy players. But I just think the whole sort of system there of, of their buying structure, about who they bought over the last few, they've wasted an awful lot of money, you know. So I think they need a new sort of... Ed Woodward has to go and they probably could do with bringing David Gill back. I think he was a really good uh, chief executive uh, when he was there, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, do me a right game. Do me, well, you have to well do later, it. later, later. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it for later. <laughs> I've got a little surprise for you. Oh, um, okay, 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 okay. Hopefully we've got a little surprise for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so would you be in out there with by the way, By the way, yeah? can I just say, I went to see you play Aikino, you know, yeah. in the Olympia. And it was, uh, it was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Why don't you bring that back? Why don't you bring that back? It was absolutely laughing for the whole, I don't know how long the show was, an hour and a half or something like that. Two but hours, I just, yeah. I couldn't stop laughing. It was, it was in the Olympia, it was packed. And I didn't know what to expect, but I loved every single minute of it. I'm not trying to butcher you up or, Blow smoke up, yeah. There was a moment. Was, there was a moment. Was fantastic. There was a funny story actually from it. Um, but mm. I can remember a little anecdote. Mm. And obviously, I played Roy Keane, and I played him in a toga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah, a toga, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> it's only after the first four nights that we realised that everybody in the first two rows could see up our togas, and that many of us weren't wearing 
proper underpants and so basically our nuts like some of the actors their nuts were hanging yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. They all, know. All, all these laughs were happening in all different places because you'd you do something with a sword and suddenly oh, yeah, yeah, one yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> and so you jiggle around and then but the second thing that happened ken was, yeah, I was yeah. obviously i was wearing a toga and i was playing this fierce um this fierce uh, soldier roy Keane. yeah yeah of course and yeah. there's a scene in the second half of the play where i'm meant to come in on one of the boxes the side boxes you know the boxes oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. One yeah, of the yeah, guest yeah, boxes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I meant to come through the door without the people who were sitting in the box knowing. Realizing, yeah, yeah. And I'm arrive in the box and a, and a light will shine on me and uh, people will go, Jesus, there's Keen up in the box now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I'm standing outside the box waiting for my cue and I have somebody in my ear going, cue is in one minute. And I go, oh, great, and I'm waiting. I can hear the stage. And then I say, 10 seconds, five seconds. Cue Mario, go, go through the door. So I open the door, but the door won't open. They've bloody locked the door. They're choking me. The people sitting in the uh, oh box my god have locked the door somehow. So I was just panicking, and adrenaline flowed through my veins. And yeah. I don't know you, this adrenaline, which makes you just crazy. Yeah, yeah, do. yeah, yeah, yeah. I stood back from the door, you and I put it. my foot through the door. No way. The door, the door opened, and splinters came off the side of the door, and a light is shining at me, and basically everybody in the audience going. Jesus, this fucking Roy Keane is too realistic. <laughs> I basically yeah. smashed open the door into splinters. And, and then oh I was like, God. oh, <laughs> they're going, Jesus, what's going on? This thing is too realistic. <laughs> they must have got a fright, though, did they, in the box? They, they must have got an awful fright. I mean, absolutely. They were just, it was one of those moments where they're looking at their pints. Looking up at me, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, listen, uh, we've got some people who want to say hello to you and ask you some questions. Okay, no problem. I think um, the broadcaster, Miriam O'Callaghan, has a question for you. Okay, okay, um, go ahead. Is Miriam. that all right? Go ahead, Miriam. Go ahead, Miriam. Hi, Ken. <laughs> Hi, Miriam. Ken, I'm a massive fan of your stick work, and I'm a massive fan of you playing snooker. You look so amazing when you play snooker. But my question to you is, Ken, okay. what are your skincare secrets? Because you look about seven years of age. <laughs> oh, skincare, skincare. Um, oil of you, like. Oil of you, yeah, okay. yeah. From Moore Street, you get a, you get some good prices down there. Two for the price of one. Okay, and just another question: Can women compete against men in snooker? They can, can't they? They they can indeed. Yeah, we have two women on the professional circuit from starting from next season. A girl from Hong Kong called On Yi and Rianne Evans, who is the twelve time World Ladies Champion. So she's going to be competing mm-hmm. next year as well. So they're very very good players. Do you ever see? Um, a time where a woman could win the World Snooker Championship? I certainly hope so. I'd like to see uh, it would be great, wouldn't it? It'd be fantastic. It would certainly encourage a lot of women around the world and a lot of young girls to, to take up the sport. So uh, I hope I hope one day it would be fantastic. Cool. I have a top break of 37. Oh, very good, Miriam. Thanks. That's, be- Thanks. that's better than mine recently, I tell you that. Yeah, that's why I'm saying it. <laughs> thanks thanks Miriam that was great uh, thanks Ken um, Johnny Sexton is also on the line he wants a word with you okay. um, Johnny Sexton uh, Johnny how are you go ahead yeah hi how are you Ken hi Johnny how are you you okay good yeah uh, listen uh, I get injured a lot playing rugby um, are there any injuries in snooker or have you ever seen a bad injury or have you ever seen anybody else uh, have I <laughs> No, we don't have injuries. Thankfully, it's not a contact sport, Johnny. But uh, <clears throat> there was uh, a fella who tried to one of the. Sometimes when you have to 
put your leg over the table, that can be quite hurtful, you know, in a, in a certain in a certain area, Johnny. So you got to be very, very careful when you're throwing the leg over on the table, like, you know. Yeah. Do you ever get really pissed off with any of the other snooker players and just feel like fucking hitting them with the stick? <laughs> yeah, loads of times. Particularly when they keep me sit, sat in my chair for long periods of time. So I'd love to uh, be able to uh, get one or two of them into a, into a scrum for sure, you know. Okay, thanks, Johnny. That's great. Thanks, Ken. Um, there's a question from... Oh, the Minister for Finance is here, Ken. Um, Pascal Donahue. Okay, Pascal, yeah. Hello, Ken. Uh, hello, Pascal. Ken, um, great to talk to you. I'm a big snooker fan. Um, how much did you win for winning the World Snooker Championship in 1997? Can you remember? Uh, oh, that's a good question. I don't know, but uh, you took 40% tax off me. I know that. Let's uh, about that, actually, because um, the revenue commissioners have been in touch. They just want to know, um, there's something about a triple audit and uh, possible <laughs> extradition to the Uyghur province in China. Oh, lovely, lovely, lovely. Oh, no, my revenue and, and tax uh, are all up to date. Thank you very much, Pascal. So there's no... There's certainly no problems there, you know. It's an interesting question for Pascal, though, uh, Ken. What was your biggest hmm. year of winnings? Do you remember? Oh, uh, well, that year that when I won, uh, I think it was 220 I won. So it helped me uh, buy my my first home hmm. back when I moved back to Dublin, you know, up yeah. in Hollybank Avenue. Yeah, which was uh, which was nice. So I don't know. It was about, I think over the year, it was about 350 on the table, something like that, you know. Well, and, well, I mean, and, you had Judd Trump. I mean, I mean, you see now, I mean, that was going back when we might have had like, you know, 10 tournaments in a season. Now we have 20. I mean, you saw Judd Trump last year. He won over one million on the table, which is quite incredible. He was the first player to break the million pound barrier. And he's done it two years in a row now. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> it shows a- you. Like, I mean, be- before Barry Hearn took over the game, we were playing for three and a half million. That was the total prize money on the tour. Um, and that was over 10 years ago. And he sort of, he grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck and he's, now the boys are playing for like 15 million. So he sort of, it's increased exponentially, you know, over the last like 10 years, which is fantastic, you know? Yeah, it is incredible. Brilliant. Final task for you on the Mario Mm. Rosenstock podcast um, Mm. today. Uh, Ken, if I was to ask you, would you like, as you leave the Mario Rosenstock podcast and return to your apartment in Sheffield, um, uh, would you like to be A, uh, celebrated by Christy Moore? Would you like to be B, interrogated by Miriam O'Callaghan? Or would you like to be C, eviscerated by Roy Keane? Oh, well, I love Roy Keane. Uh, so it would have to be Roy Keane. Roy Keane. Okay. Are you, are you ready for this, Ken? Oh, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Ken Doherty. Ken Doherty. Don't talk to me about Ken Doherty. I was playing for United at the end of the day when the lad won the World Snooker Championship. He came to Old Trafford with his trophy. I saw him walking around like he fucking owned the place. Look at my cup. Look at my cup. Won the World Snooker Champion at the end of the day. He's talking to a bunch of lads in a team who's used to winning cups. We used to win three cups a year, but no, Ken is there. But I won the important cup. I won the big cup. This was... I won the cup on my own. This was a cup that you won together with 11 other lads. Nobody even knew who he fucking was. I was mortified. <laughs> Eric, Eric Cantona asked him for tea and a toasted ham and cheese sandwich because he thought he was a fucking waiter. Nobody, <laughs> other fellas thought he was Fergie's grandson who won a prize on sports day. And there's Ken walking around, all four foot fucking two of them with the cup above his head. He could have climbed into the cup. He could have drank himself. It was a fucking ice lolly. He would have licked himself. 
Fergie was saying, get this lad out of here. Is he all right in the head? He was going to get security <laughs> after you. Before, but Ken is walking out onto the pitch in front of 65,000 spectators. Look at me. He was like one of them fucking protesters at the end of the day, gone rogue. Divas. Don't talk to me about divas. This lad makes Mariah Carey look like Steve fucking Bruce. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's exactly what he probably did say. <laughs> the bastard blanked me when I took the cup up there as well. Did he? <laughs> yeah, he blanked me. Did he? Uh, uh, no, no, no. I yeah, mean, yeah. Uh, when, I, when I walked into the into the canteen, Fergie introduced me, and the first time I'm sitting on the first table, and the second time I'm sitting on the second table, and I see Ken and Fergie, and, he, and I've come in with the cup, you know, and I'm, he says, uh, gentlemen, he says, Ken, he's a big fan, snooker fan, or a big Man United fan, and he's going to parade the trophy. He said he just won last week the World Championship, you know? And uh, I'm standing there at the door with him, and they all, they're all like, digging into the pasta. They all look around, and nobody moves, right? And I'm looking at Ken, because I would have met him over, over the time, like, you know, and had a drink with him here and there, you know? And I'm looking at here when I'm saying, they might come up for us, you know, just to break the ice, you know? And Beckham is there and Giggs in there, Scholes is there, Schmeichel. And nobody moved the muscle, you know? And I'm like, I'm, I've got the trophy of your hat. And it's sort of going up and down. I was starting to shake. And I don't know whether to go over there or they, someone's got to approach me. And I'm looking at Kane. I'm saying to myself, Kane, when you get up off the fucking table and come over and say hello, you ignorant bollocks, you know? <laughs> he never moved the muscle, right? <laughs> so anyway, at the end, after about five minutes, this big fella got up off the, pushed the chair back and walked over to me. And shook my hand, looked down at me, and I'm looking up at him like he's towering over him. And he goes, Congratulations, Mr. Doherty, and welcome to Old Trafford. You know, and I looked up at him, you know, and he, this guy was my hero in the team. You Eric. Know? And all I said to him was, Thank you, Mr. Cantona. Yeah. <laughs> I was like a little schoolboy, you know? Yeah. And then once he broke, because he was the captain, you know, and uh, once he broke the ice, then the rest of them, the rest of them all came up, you know? Yeah. Like Giggs and Beckham and Skulls and Kane then, and then they all wanted to pick up the trophy and have a look at it. Um, but uh, Eric Cantona never played for Manchester United after that day. And I always say, he said, if they're letting fucking snooker players come here parading the trophy, that's me, I'm out of here. That was his last match. They picked up the Premiership trophy against West Ham that last day in 97, and uh, he retired straight after. Yeah, he met you, Ken, and he went, And that was it. I'm taking a back thing. I'm out the way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Excellent. Well, listen, Ken, absolute pleasure, um, as always, to talk to you. Mm. And um, thank you so much for joining me on the Mario no Rosen Stock podcast. And uh, mind yourself, keep well, keep your lovely family well, and hopefully see you back in Ireland really sometime yeah, soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Mario. Thanks for having thank, me on. Thank you, Ken. Pleasure. And there you have it. Um, I really, really enjoyed my conversation with Ken. Um, you could talk to him all day. Um, the stories, we were only scratching the surface. Uh, he has millions and millions of stories like that. Um, perhaps I'll get him on at, a, at another time. Um, my thanks, of course, as always, to my good friends in Curry's PC World for their ongoing support. Thank you so much, Curry's. Thank you to you for listening. Um, keep your emails coming into me to the... Um, Mario Rosenstock podcast at MarioRosenstock at gmail.com so many of you um, have been on to me especially last week after David Quinn um, so thanks to uh, Gareth Short uh, John O'Reardon Niall O'Keefe uh, Mary Antoinette Ambrose 
Killian de Blockham, Mark Smith, who got on to me about my back pain that I was screaming about. Thanks a million for that, Mark. Michelle Mahoney, I think she was out in the Caribbean. Anthony Polo, he was over in France. They're coming from all over the world. Thanks a million for, for getting in touch. Lots and lots of emails. Um, and I'll try to reply each uh, to each and every one of you personally. Um, okay, that's it. Thanks to everybody for listening. Um, next week, I think we have a bit of a special because the kings of podcast are joining me on my podcast. They would be the two Johnnies. Last time I met them, we had an awful lot of crack. Tune in for that, the two Johnnies. Subscribe for free. Um, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.